0: Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about jobs data, inventory, and what the credit rating downgrade could mean for mortgage rates. First, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking to Desmond Smith, Chief Growth Officer at UWM, about SafeCheck. Desmond, how are trigger leads impacting borrowers?
1: So trigger leads have become a very big issue in many industries, not just mortgages. But specifically the mortgages, what we've seen happen is a loan officer or a broker will pull credit and sometime within minutes, but uh, definitely within the hour. Uh, we've had consumers receive upwards of 40 calls. You know, within a day or two, they may receive hundreds of calls. So that's the reason that UWM created SafeCheck to protect borrowers.
0: Thanks, Desmond. And listeners, you can find out more about SafeCheck at uwm.com. Logan, welcome back to the podcast.
2: Happy debt downgrade day, Sarah Wheeler.
0: <laughs> Is it though? Okay, first of all, you were on CNBC this morning, very early, kind of the middle of the night for depending on what uh, where you were, but gave a great interview, and they asked you about this downgrade. So let's start with that.
2: So I think for for normal people, when they hear a debt downgrade for a country, um, it ignites very bad things uh immediately I got a lot of messages. Oh, is our rates going to go to 12% or stuff like that? So I understand the confusion that people would have on this. Just just giving my professional opinion, this downgrade was partly done because of the debt ceiling issue. The United States of America is the only economic superpower where our debt is going to be top notch. The dollar's king, you know, uh nothing's going to surpass this. But that downgrade to me was, in a sense, the, the fear that at one point the debt ceiling won't be passed and there will be like two to three days of drama and then they do it. And it's more, it, it, in fact, Fitch actually came out today and said, if the debt ceiling went away, that would be an upgrade for us. The reality of us as a country, there's no way to stop this debt train. Uh, I even wrote about this in 2019, that in back in 2019, we were going to like $60 trillion of debt or so, no, excuse $71 trillion of debt by 2060. This is before COVID. As we get older as a country, more of our debt goes to older people, Social Security, Medicare. Uh, we don't grow fast enough. We don't collect enough taxes. We don't cut enough. There's just no way. So even with all that Comparing to other countries, we're the only superpower in the world. So we're 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 gonna be triple-A status all the time. But in this case, uh, I'm I'm sympathetic with their reasoning that you know the debt ceiling issue is is you know, what if you get something not passed? And then technically the country could not get the job done where other countries would just keep on passing the debt ceiling. So the the bond yields didn't even respond like at all. Like, you know, if you were if you were to get a debt downgrade for a lot of countries, their debt bond yields would skyrocket right there. Bond yields actually went down like one basis points. Uh the jobs data today actually pushed uh, bond yields higher. But the debt downgrade, not I wouldn't say this is not politically motivated or anything. This is just a reality that we keep on having these debt ceiling, you know, almost like hostage events. And the fear is one day somebody doesn't extend it. There's a market disorders. And then after the market disorder, they'll try to fix it. But that, that to me is my professional take. That's why you, know, you didn't see much reaction to the bond market.
0: So it's really looking at it from a policy standpoint. and in, in other words, like the danger or, or what they see as the risk is really that we may not pass the debt ceiling. It's not so much like, oh, you know, our debt is just where, where we are economically as a country.
2: Yeah, I mean, my my rule of thumb is, you know, if you're worried about debt in America, let Canada go bankrupt first. Mexico, Japan, Germany, China, let these other countries that are smaller and weaker than us uh, have debt blowups. Then let's talk about what could happen here in the U.S. U.S. though, we're we're what 167 trillion dollar financial asset country, we're the biggest economy in the world, biggest military, reserve currencies. We're we're good. So, but in this context, I actually am sympathetic with their reasoning that maybe one day debt silly doesn't get passed, and that that's an issue. That's a that's a policy issue uh, rather than you know the sh- strength of a, a of an economy.
0: So you know. If you're sitting out there, you're a mortgage loan officer. You're in real estate. You're, you know, one of our our uh, typical listeners. That how that affects the mortgage rate is the most important thing. So you said that bond bond yields didn't really react, but there's been some movement this morning because of jobs. So tell us what's going on with mortgage rates.
2: Of course, as always. 2023 bond market, labor market, right? It was interesting. I I had to get up at one o'clock in the morning for CNBC and interview at 2.15 my time. And the 10 year yield wasn't even doing anything uh, once the ADP report came up. And the ADP ADP report is like the least most important jobs data we have. But it was strong. Bond yields shot up. Um, Currently, right now, I think we're 4.09%. And the labor data is is still showing an economy that's expanding. This is why the focus this year was on labor data rather than inflation. Uh, but even at that, the mortgage spreads were not bad today, so rates didn't jump up too much. Um, if, we had a, if we had a debt crisis, mortgage rates would be 12% today. Um, so we're okay on that front. We're moving for the right reasons. The labor data is still solid, and we got Jobs Friday coming up tomorrow we'll have the jobless claims report.
0: So when you said that the ADP jobs was strong, what was it showing there and what do you expect the jobs report the the more important jobs reports to show?
2: The BLS report should show a slowing of the uh, job market. And again, my my theory has been that until we get to like 157 toward 159 million jobs, that's that's all the makeup jobs that we should have had if there was no covid. So we're just working our way there, but the ADP report has a really big divergence on their leisure uh, uh, jobs data. So there's there's no decoupling in economics, right? So, so somebody's wrong. I'm going to assume the ADP is wrong. Uh, that's why nobody takes them somewhat seriously. So the labor data should just be solid report, wage growth cooling down, job growth slowing down, but in the trajectory where we get into that 157 to 159 million level, and then We'll start to go back to a kind of a normal jobs market, uh, and the Fed would want to see that you know a, a wage growth cooling down. The job openings data came out this week, fell a little bit, but still near 10 million. So the labor data is fine, right? And I think again, so many people went into the recession call, recession trade, and it hasn't panned out. So the bond market is is basically acting in accordance to better labor data
0: so on this podcast uh this because we do two every week on this one we always talk about inventory from the from the week before because you know we you've published your tracker every every week and that's actually one of the things that cnbc also wanted to talk to you about because um you know your last tracker we talked about what happened to summer housing market i mean what happened because it kind of didn't show up so so talk us through inventory
2: so the trend of having New listings data trending at all-time lows for 12 months is fully in intact. intact. Uh, it was last year at this time where we saw the noticeable decline year over year after mortgage rates went above 6%. So One of the things that I tried to explain on CNBC is that everyone has to realize with housing economics, supply is a function of demand. So if people are not listing their homes to sell them, it's not because the mortgage rate has locked them down. They simply cannot afford to move, right? So in this context, uh, housing demand, uh, existing home sales are still near 21st century lows, right? If you adjust it to the workforce, it's at 21st century lows. So if you don't have people listing their homes to to, to buy and mortgage rates are still above 7%, the ability to grow sales is very limited. And then on top of that, active listings uh, is still near all time lows and it's negative as well. I think that's the, you know, it, if I would have told everybody we are sitting in uh, August and mortgage rates have been above 7% or near 7% for many months and active inventory is negative year over year and new listings, day, nobody would have believed me. They would just think inventory would have to skyrocket. And again, hopefully I have done a good enough job to train people that credit channels, run inventory channels, and people don't sell to be homeless. It's an interesting concept, but doesn't happen. Uh, And to the Federal Reserve members who uh, don't understand why won't people list their homes, you have to realize after 2010, you basically have to know you're approved to buy a home before you list it. So you have to go through this whole process because after 2010, qualified mortgage, most people get 30-year fixes. So, if you have an affordability hit, not a nor- like a normal affordability hit, the mother of all affordability hits, you take supply off the market, which is a function of demand. That's kind of what I try to explain on CNBC. So, we have very low active listings. New listings data is trending at all-time lows, and existing home sales are trending near 21st century lows. So, that's the housing market we're in right now. Uh, when mortgage rates do fall, right? That will boost up demand. Doesn't necessarily mean inventory will grow in big numbers, but it does promote sales. Uh, uh, but as of right now, we're just we're just kind of stuck. We're stuck at these very low levels. Home sales aren't crashing like they were last year, but they're not growing either. And that was the another point I tried to uh, emphasize on CNBC.
0: So give us the exact uh, inventory numbers for last week. It's one of the great things that we can do now because we do have Altos data. We have access to that. And and that gives us um, a very accurate real-time count of how many listings came on the market in a given week, what was sold, all these things. So what is the actual data from last week?
2: To keep things simple, total active listings are under 490,000. Okay, so we're right about there. Uh, in it, back in 2015, we were 1.2 million uh, and uh, new listings for the data. the same week. Yes, for the same week uh, back in 2015. So 1.2 million, 490,000, that's not a lot, right? Uh, that's that's not a lot of uh, single family listings, but new listings data, the only positive I see in the inventory data is that new listings data has not made another new leg lower, Uh, it's trending at all time lows, but it's not doing what it did last year where it just made this new collapse. And we're going to start the uh, year with uh, uh, another low level of new listings. So if this trajectory stays, we could actually have some flat to positive new listings data because it was about this time last year that the negative year over year data came in. So hopefully the bleeding has stopped on that. And and that's what I'm keeping an eye on for for the rest of the year. But uh seasonality is about to kick in for the active listings data you know september uh, october traditionally that's when you start to see the fall of that and then new listings data is now entering its seasonal decline phase so i'm keeping a close eye on those two things to see where we start uh 2024 at but uh yeah it's it's you know the the previous time i was on cnbc was may 15th and i said listen guys, this is the walking dead. This is a zombie. And back then the year over year inventory was showing positive data. I said, this thing, this thing will go negative. If we keep on doing how slow this is, we're going to have negative year over year inventory. And that's been the case.
0: So explain a little bit, like if, if people aren't used to hearing, you know, both of these, so how, At what point do new listings become active listings? Because you're talking, you know, we talk about those as two separate things, which they are, but obviously they're related. And sometimes I get lost in the weeds there. So explain what what that looks like.
2: So, active listings are all the homes that are available for sale at the end of the week, right? And that's all the homes that are not impending or anything like that. And new listings is in that week. These people came in and put their homes on the market. People with very low mortgage rates, Sarah, they put their homes on the market to sell to buy another one. So th- that's the difference. The active listings is what's available, and every single week we do get new listings. And you know, then there's the homes that go onto the uh, uh, pending market or, or going to be sold. Uh, we don't count those in the active listings data line. So the active listing is the raw count of homes available like the nar data counts all the pendings and and condos and everything all together here we break it down to just single family homes that are do not have a transaction in place they are there for people to buy and then every single week new listings come onto the market again when days on market are very low like we see uh uh, homes get out of the market uh fast that prevents inventory from growing. When we have seen inventory grow historically after 2010 is weakness in demand, days on market grow, accumulation of inventory can happen. We, we don't have that marketplace uh, uh, today. And it's interesting, the, the CNBC ac- anchor actually said, you know, last year it looked like we had a... Uh, a, a very solid rise in active listings. Yeah. We started at the lowest levels ever recorded history at the biggest home sale crash ever recorded in history at the biggest mortgage rate increase in recent history. And you put those all together, the slope of the curve was really fast, but here it's like slow. It took a very long time to find the uh, seasonal bottom. And then it's just been a slow zombie ride. So that's how we get negative year-over-year inventory. Uh, we just don't have the growth like we saw last year.
0: And in those uh, new listings, uh, the weekly data for the new listings, which I love that you you pointed out how Altos data um, differs from NAR there because we get that question a lot. But you were hoping to see some weeks this summer where it was going to be between 11,000 and like 17,000 new listings. How many of those weeks have we had?
2: We, we haven't had any recently you know it's uh you know there there were some weeks last year where we saw 30,000 uh, a- active listings uh, grow and here you know 5,800 eight, you know n- nothing nothing to what i was hoping for what we would see and it's not because mortgage rates are low mortgage rates have been uh, uh near 7 or at 7 or above 7 for for oh, 3 months now so it's not that it's just we don't we don't have a lot of things going on. The market has slowed in that sense. The new listings data, of course, trending at all-time lows does not help. Uh and, and because total active listings are so uh low, when demand is stable, the homes get off the market. You know, if demand is crashing like it did last year, you saw a different story. You saw the slope of the inventory curve really uh pick up. It was still low historically, but you can see what the what the issue with housing is. You know, to really get like inventory to grow in big numbers, you need like two to three years of major sales declines. And what's occurred over the last 10 years is that we have one really bad year and then rates fall and then, you know, demand gets better. We rates fell. Demand was getting better, you know, November, December, January up to February. And now it's just standing off, But active listings are still so low so hopefully the concept of sellers or buyers right set the people don't sell their homes to be homeless so that active listing is still they sell they buy another one the inventory channels don't really move that much and that's the difficulty and that's always been the fear for me about inventory in years 2020 to 2024 if demand does pick up and we break to you know that marketplace can be stuck for a while and you know having the biggest one-year sales crash in history and not getting a lot of inventory should open everyone's eyes into what kind of housing market we are in right now.
0: So, the last article you wrote for us was talking about, you know, what happened to the summer housing market. At what point, like here in here where I am in Texas, uh, school starts next week for a lot of people. Um, I know we don't, you know, we don't wait till after Labor Day. When is that seasonal? We know that a lot of families aren't going to buy houses after, you know, after school starts or at least it slows down. So, from your perspective, when is the summer selling season really over? When do you start to see a seasonal decline?
2: So, I you can have existing home sales uh, have big numbers in the in in the winter or, or fall, but how I look at uh, uh, housing economics, purchase application data, you look from the second week of January to the first week of May. After May, traditional volumes fall because that data line looks thirty to ninety days out. So you kind of run the front-loaded demand of seasonality into the you kind of the, the the first week of July, and then after that, you know. We don't we don't list a lot of homes. Uh, uh, people don't move a lot. You could still have buyers into the mix out there, but you you just run the first half of the year, and then after you know August, you start to get the active listings to fall. New listings data, it, all these data lines are seasonal. Uh, even the days on market, you know, start to pick up you know, toward the second half of the year, because you have uh, less buyers into the into the marketplace. That's why the pricing mechanisms of housing are very strong in the first few months. And then toward the end of the year, the seasonality of pricing weakens. So it's a very seasonal uh, 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 economic sector. But really, it's, you know, to me, it's January, February, March, April, May. After May, total volumes and ap- purchase application data falls. It's just, we've had some really weird years after COVID where, Rates all of a sudden fall down and demand picks up. That's something that you know I'm going to keep my eye on because uh, if that doesn't happen, that'd be the first time post COVID that we didn't have a kind of a late in the year run in purchase apps. Uh, we saw that happen even last year in November because mortgage rates started falling, people started to buy homes. So uh, things are a bit disoriented uh, after COVID, but there is that seasonal factor of housing, and usually. Um, the active listings September, October, those things start to slow down, and then we see the seasonal decline in listings in in general uh, in the fall and winter and then we pick it up again uh, uh, in the spring and summer. The other difference is that usually the weekly active listings bottom out in January and then you know February, March, April, May, and June we have this these uh, seasonal increases in inventory. This year, it took to April 14th. That's a big deal. It took to April 14th to find a seasonal bottom. That is not a good thing. That is not normal. It's usually January and February. And for a long time, the total active listings data was actually uh, uh, still lower than the like the second week of January. That that does not happen. That's like that is such a freaky thing for me to see. That uh, that I, I I can never lose that. I mean that that was that reality was here. And that's the problem with having such low active listings and demand pick up a little bit toward the end of last year, where you just start peeling off these homes. Uh, uh, Again, you know, we saw what happened with the biggest home sale crash ever last year with inventory. We did see inventory rise. It did not get back to 2019 levels. That marketplace changed. Demand is stable. It's not growing. It's not crashing. It's kind of, we're stuck. We're like in mud. Right, think about two wrestlers fighting in mud, right? And that's the housing market between buyers and sellers right now.
0: Well, and one of your um, one of the illustrations you've used all year has been this zombie for you know uh, uh, the Walking Dead, the uh, zombie slowly crawling or walking because it just can't seem to get any traction on inventory.
2: Can't get traction on inventory. Can't get traction on demand right now. So the year-to-date purchase application data now I, I look at the weeklies, make some holiday adjustments. We're negative 15 uh, times, and we're positive 14 times. So it's basically a standoff. Everything's a standoff, right? Buyers, a seller standoff. Rates are, you know, so uh, it, I've, it's frustrating for like really big housing bulls that are like looking for demand to really pick up, and it's really frustrating for housing price crash people because there's no direction here. Uh, and active listings low, so it it proposes a question. What happens when mortgage rates fall? Guess what? De- what we have seen always after 2010 is when mortgage rates fall, demand picks up. Well, demand picks up. Guess where we're at? Inventory is already low, not the best thing for housing, but that's the reality of the world we live in. You can have sales grow one to 2 million with active listings still this low. I think uh, people are confused about that. We had that in 2021, right? We had that in 20, we had more sales back then because people list their homes, they buy, you know, first time home buyers buy, it's just rates are simply too high right now to get growth in the data line. And that's why when you see the purchase application data, uh, it's at uh, historical lows in the 21st century right now.
0: Wow, that is crazy. Purchase apps was the next question I had, so you already answered that. So for the rest of this week, because we do have such a big week on jobs, you're looking at the BLS report that comes out on Friday, correct? That's gonna that's gonna be the, uh, the yes. Thing that- and
2: when this when this podcast comes out, jobless claims would have already been uh, 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 issued out there. So uh, jobless claims have. Has moved the 10 year yield aggressively up or down uh, uh, at times. So, the last, we've had in the last, I would say, five weeks, we've had three really good jobless claims reports and continuing claims. Bond yields have pushed up. We're not at the peak of the 2023 uh, 10 year yield forecast, but I think we got to like 411, 412. Today, so uh, uh, this I, I, I said this uh, for this week. If there was a really really interesting week, it's this week for the labor data and where the ten year yields at. Usually, we just bounce off of those levels uh, when we're up here, uh, and right now we're just doing the tug of war around four point zero eight percent. When people look at that ten year chart, you can see this like a right now it's almost like a triple top. So the, it, it's going to be a big 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 Friday, big Thursday, especially with the jobless claims data. Uh, uh, and we'll see where uh, uh, those reports take us.
0: Chances that mortgage rates go up even higher on on uh, based on that data.
2: The best case I can make for higher mortgage rates is that the economy gets firmer, better, grows faster, right. You can break above four and a quarter. Of course, the Japanese situation can allow money to go to Japanese bonds, not U.S. bonds. So there is a case to be made. But as of right now, we have not tested my four and a quarter level. It's bounced off every time. Uh, The growth rate of inflation is falling. That's a really big thing. A lot of the things that the Fed tracks are showing improvements now. So whenever you hear one of them say, there's no improvement. It's in inflation. okay, boomer. No. Yes, there is. Okay, so let's uh, let we keep an eye on wage growth on Jobs Friday. That's really key because some of the some of the wage uh, indexes they're showing a, a slowdown. That's what the Federal Reserve wants. The bond market knows this too.
0: Logan, thank you so much for for coming on here, especially since you had such an early morning. Thanks for the insight, and as always, we will talk to you again in a couple of days.
2: Thank you very much, Sarah.
1: Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, CEO at HW Media. I invited Brendan Nath to give you a little more detail on HousingWire Annual. This is HousingWire's mortgage focused event that covers everything in mortgage finance from origination, servicing, secondary markets in partnerships with real estate, title and valuation professionals.
3: You have people like Frank Martel, the CEO of Loan Depot, our own Logan Motoshami, lead analyst over at Housing Wire, Sandra Thompson, FHFA director, and even Slingham, who's the CEO of Thrive Mortgage. These executives are taking the stage. What are they talking about that actually applies to you? So they're addressing How are they staying profitable in this business? How are they creating communication flows from the top down and making sure that everyone through the company is driving that business forward? How are they making the tough decisions? It's a tougher market, but even though it's a tougher market, there's still people who are growing. So how are they winning that market share and what does their mindset have to do with that? And so two of the big buzzwords that we use are actionable items and insights and walking away, but that is something we actually took and then went a level deeper to make sure we're, we're creating those opportunities for you guys, whether it's on the pickleball core or staying after in the session to chat with these leaders at these companies. It's the people you want to be in the room with. You want to be surrounded by people who are growing because when I leave a conference, it's that energy that you want to take with you back to your business as you build up more strategy for 2024 and beyond. That's why we call it the starting line, right? You're you're starting your business for the future. So that's where I would kind of touch on to start with.
1: If you want to learn more about HousingWire Annual, Visit housingwireannual.com. Or if you're on HousingWire, you can click the events tab and see all of our events, HousingWire Annual included. This event is October 10th through 12th in Austin, Texas. We're bringing you a special promo. I'm not even going to tell you what it is on air right now. Um, you have to DM me. So you can hit me up on LinkedIn, Clayton Collins, CEO of HW Media, easy to find, or on Instagram at HousingClayton. So check us out. Join us at HousingWire Annual. Thank you. See you in Austin.
0: Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.